We are talking to a straight, white, Republican, Christian man who refuses to leave California, a.k.a. Sodom and Gomorrah. May God grant him protection from the mob, the taxman, the human waste littering the pavements, and the bloody bushfires. Welcome, Mr. Reagan, or should I call you Chris? <laughs> Chris is fine. That was beautifully said, Brian. Thank you. Great. <laughs> And uh, how do you actually find yourself in California? Uh, well, I suppose trade. I'm a writer. Say by trade, that makes it sound like I was trained by somebody who knew what they were doing. Um, I, I essentially wanted to be a, a movie and television writer when I was growing up. And so I went to school at University of Miami. I took a year and I went to University of Westminster in, in London. And then um, I moved around after that. I thought, okay, well, maybe I can get work in Toronto. Maybe I can get work in New York City. But it's it's very hard to build a successful, um, you know, career in film and television unless you're in LA. That's pretty much what everybody told me. So eventually, I reluctantly moved myself to Los Angeles, and I have been uh, failing here ever since. So, you know, you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna fail, fail in the most opportune place. I I, I say. At least you have good weather. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. So uh, can you tell us, why did you actually start your YouTube channel? What was the motivation behind that? You've been very successful in a very short amount of time. Uh, funny you should, uh, uh, well, obviously you would ask something like that, but uh, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a girl in, a, in an Uber yesterday. Uh, we, were, we were both driving home, and uh, she asked me what I did and stuff, and I said, you know, I have this YouTube channel, and it's, you know, conservative politics, and I kind of knew she wouldn't... <clears throat> particularly, you know, respond particularly well to that. But, eh, you know, I kind of wanted to see a reaction. And uh, this girl had, I think, probably never met a Republican in her entire life. And so <laughs> uh, so I, I felt, OK, I should probably soften the blow and explain maybe one of the reasons why I started the channel. Um, and I said, you know, I wanted to, to reach out to leftists, to Democrats, and say, and basically say, we're not racist like you know conservatives right-wing people aren't necessarily racist sexist homophobic all the things you know the horrible things that you label us as you know i was personally raised to believe all those things were horrible you know and you should be kind and loving to everybody you know i, I came from a protestant christian household and um so i wanted to say like you know look your grandma's probably a republican is she a horrible person probably not so why do you think of all the rest of us as like these backwoods rednecks that hate everybody? Like, you know, we're, we're a lot of us are sophisticated people who think about these issues and want to help people. And I wanted to kind of say that, like, look, the left wants to voting left, the, the oppressed, the poor, you know, the people with, with issues. But the right also wants to do the same things. We maybe have different methods of doing it. And like, don't just sort of dismiss us out of hand because you've heard all these hateful things about us. Um, but that's, but that's only actually half the, the true story about how I started the channel. The other half is that I was watching Ben Shapiro, I was watching Jordan Peterson, I was watching Milo Yiannopoulos, I was watching all these guys on YouTube, and one Saturday, I think it was a Saturday, I didn't have work, uh, my girlfriend was getting her nails done or something, and I watched about an hour of these videos, caught up with what I had missed over the week, and then I was done. I didn't have anything else to watch. And I was sitting there thinking, I, I really want to get my fix. I really want more political stuff that, uh, you know, that I find interesting, new ideas and stuff. It's like a slow news week. And so I actually thought to myself, like, you know what? I'll do it. There's a gap in the market here. There's obviously room for another voice. 
I'm like, I could do it. I got the equipment. I got a camera. I got a microphone. Yeah. You know, I can make it look quality. I'll, I'll do it. So I just saw the gap in the market, really. If you want a successful YouTube channel, find a demand that you can supply to, right? Like find a, a space in which there is not, uh, you know, that the market isn't being filled. People want something, but maybe there's not enough people there or something like that. To me, that's the best way to grow a YouTube channel fast. Yes. I found out kind of by accident. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. And of course, today we have a very cheap technology. We've got platforms on which we can uh, upload our thoughts, discuss ideas, debate, argue. Um, so it, it's great at the moment. I'm a bit worried about the censorship from big tech companies. Um, in the future, will conservatives or libertarians be able to share their ideas on the internet? Well, um, that's another question. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll win out in the end just because it's such a big part of the market and we're growing. Like, I, I think the internet facilitates the dissemination of truth, right? So it's it's kind of like the ultimate uh, free speech thing, right? Where like the cream rises to the top. That's that's the general philosophy that's supposed to supposed to be. If we have free speech, then we we can discern what is baloney and what's true. And I think that kind of stuff is happening. I mean, my guy is like Jordan Peterson. He's like my favorite guy that I listen to talk talk about stuff. Uh, but I love Ben Shapiro. I love all these other guys, and. Um, you know, it's funny because I, I, I'm doing a video. My next video that I'm posting is about what I call the black wave, which is, I think, black men in America shifting from voting left to voting right. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how this happens in the midterms and definitely when Trump's second term comes up. Um, but I'm talking to guys who are finding some of these some of these people online and listening to them and thinking, you know what? Yes. That's actually true. And that was we didn't have access to that kind of thing before, you know, excuse well, me, uh, Kanye West. Kanye West, I think, is, is that's what happened to him. I think that he watched a bunch of YouTube videos. Yeah. You know, uh, I will have to see the figures and the number of voters who actually uh, black, black men who, who vote for the Republican Party before. I believe that they, they, they turn <laughs> in mass exodus towards the Republicans. Uh, I, I don't see that trend. Uh, however, for example, uh, Trump was very good on uh, the idea of immigration. And if you're a black working class person and, for example, you're in the marketplace and all of a sudden there's people who are flooding into the country who will work for lower wages than you, uh, you have an interest uh, for a party which wants to protect the job yeah. market for you. Right. That's not always a directly visible thing. I think that's the problem with that. Like, it looks very charitable. Like, oh, we're helping this group. And you are, to some extent, helping the group. I mean, there are better ways, I think, to help people than to allow them into your country to work for below minimum wage, you know, like very, very low wages. Uh, but that said, if you're helping this group, sometimes you hurt this other group. And that's not always obvious, not even to the group that's being hurt. Because in, in this case, if you have like the really, really poor working class, not able to find jobs because these sort of under minimum wage illegal immigrants are taking them, they don't necessarily know that's why they can't get a job. They just think like, well, I don't want to do a job for below minimum wage, but they don't realize, well, actually, if these guys weren't here, this job would pay more. Like people keep thinking, well, they do the jobs no Americans want to do. Yeah, people would do that job. For sure they would do that job. You know, you just have to make the wage high enough that it attracts employees. Okay, so you were chatting about the people who have influenced you and your thinking. I see on the list is Peter Hitchens. Uh, I really enjoy reading Peter Hitchens' uh, stuff. Yeah. And for me, he's pretty much the godfather 
a living godfather of conservatism in the UK. Mm, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Peter Hitchens is an interesting guy because he's not conservatism in the UK and conservatism in the US is a little bit different. And that's, you know, in that like you in the UK, there was an aristocracy for a long time. Right. So you have these these strong traditions from those days. And Peter Hitchens seems to be a guy who welcomes British culture like like, you know, old timey British culture. And um, and I totally relate to that. Right. Like I was like a, I had very my grandparents. And when I went to my grandma's, you know, it was like an era frozen in time when you walked into her house because that was sort of the age that her kids grew up in. And I, you know, to me, like that was actually a pretty good time in America for um, for Americans. You know, they were much more ethical. You know, people were going to church. They were, you know, bringing cakes to their new neighbors and things like that, you know, stuff that we don't really do anymore. We've yes. lost a lot of that. Yes. And, 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 and Peter Hitchens is nostalgic for that stuff, too. Like, he grew up in that age. Like, he grew up in that time. And when, you know, you say something like, make America great again, a lot of people are like, oh, like, you know what I mean, back when black people were oppressed? No. Okay. There was no time in history when everything was perfect for every human being, right? We're trying to say that there were some things in the past that were valuable that we've lost today. We want to try to bring those things back, right? A little bit of humility, a little bit of ethics that maybe lost, right? a little bit of our innocence. And um, Peter Hitchens seems to long for the British version of that, right? Uh, the British stuff. And so his take on conservatism seems incredibly strongly rooted in tradition, right? And he's a strong Christian, I believe. Yes, and yes. Uh, so a lot of Christian stuff, a, lo a lot of very, very British stuff. And so sometimes his conservatism is a little bit different than mine, but for the most part, it comes from kind of the same place. He's a little bit less optimistic than I am, though. He, he, he seems very, to be. He's very pessimistic. He describes his, yeah. his job basically as writing the obituary of the UK. And to be honest, uh, I've lived in the UK for a while, and I'm looking at the demographic numbers, and if they continue the way uh, on the projection that they're on, uh, I definitely think the UK will be a very different place in the next 100 to 100. 50 years. Yeah, I have a much less, uh, I suppose, open view of immigration than do British people. Uh, I consider America to be a place in which we did, in fact, invite a lot of different immigrants, you know, from from the very beginning uh, of, of America. We had people from all over coming in, uh, sometimes in not very good ways, sometimes in, you know, a little bit nicer ways. But, but, in Britain, to me, or Sweden, or these kind of countries, like <clears throat> those countries have a tradition of Britishness into antiquity, or a tradition of Swedishness into antiquity. So they have a culture that needs to be protected. Uh, in England for a year, and I remember seeing um, kids, I think Pakistani kids or something like that, and they would. There was one kid. He just would. He just spit on the floor in a mall, in indoor, indoors, and I wanted to grab him and say, "Listen, you little." punk clean that up you know i mean i didn't do it because i think i'd probably go to jail or something but i that was my urge and i saw another guy pakistani guy and he just throws this bottle on the glass on, on the grass and, and walks into into his dorm room like these kids they don't respect the island you know they don't respect great britain and uh, i mean I, I think there's probably a lot of native british people who don't respect great britain either yes um there's a big underclass yes yeah yeah but it just occurred to me that like 
why bring in people who who hate you? Why bring in people who don't respect your culture, don't respect the land? You know, you got enough of those people here already. You know, why bring in criminals? Why bring in people who who think, oh, you're colonists, and I want to like take from you, you know, oh, what you yes. took from you know, my people or whatever. Yes, like, I, I think there is an ax to grind, like psychologically, uh, they, for example, Pakistanis, Indians, uh, they were um, colonies of the British and uh, they know that they were dominated by the British and, and now they're in the UK. And uh, yeah. yes, uh, they have an increasing amount of power politically and that's because of their demographic growth. I think a lot of the first generation uh, folks are actually pretty decent people. You know, they come there trying to make a good life for their kids, right? And so they're trying to start businesses. They're trying to like, you know, do good things. Their kids grow up with a, a, a little bit of a, uh, I don't know what they you would call it, but like an entitlement mentality, right? I'm entitled to everything because they don't know the difference, right? They don't know what it was like back in Pakistan. And so they, they grew up thinking like, uh, uh, you know, I'm owed everything. And you guys, you know, were bad to my people, so I'm going to be bad to you. And it's just this kind of like spoiled brat mentality. And mind you, uh, one of my best friends is a Pakistani Brit. So, uh, so I'm in the sense that like, oh, I hate Pakistanis. It's not like a racist kind of a thing. I'm just saying what I've seen in Britain. And to me, whilst I was there, I thought, you know, you can kick these people out. Right. And, and, and that's kind of like a radical thing to say. I wouldn't say it here in America. But in Britain, I'm like, Britain is for the British. Like you can kick people out who aren't English and who don't respect your country. Like, to me, that's fair. To me, that's fair. If you don't respect this country, you're out. That, well, that's, that's kind of my position on that. The Dalai Lama concurs. Does he? <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, another thing about Peter Hitchens is... He's a is, smart guy. Uh, he's spiritual, yes. Um, I was very attracted to Christopher Hitchens when I was younger, in my 20s. I read a lot of his stuff and enjoyed his articles. Uh, but he had a very different view of American foreign policy than Peter Hitchens. Uh, Christopher Hitchens was all for the Iraq invasion um, and America using its military power to spread democracy in third world countries. However, Peter Hitchens is um, really on the other side isolationist yeah yeah he is an isolationist and uh, for myself i've actually moved to that position i i think conflict is sometimes necessary uh, but sort of trying to build a global america in third world countries i i think it's been ruinous for america well you gotta do you've got to. my position is you've got to do one or the other fully okay uh, did I lose you there? You kind of frozen a little bit. Okay. Uh oh. All right, we're back. Do you yeah, see me? We're back. Yeah, I can see you. Okay. Uh, to me, you've got to go all one way, or you've got to go all another way. You've got to be like seriously isolationist, or you've really got to be, uh, you know, a nation-building empire, right? So, like to me, my my position is also a little bit crazy on this. I I say, why do we keep invading countries? replacing their leadership, their government, and then leaving and, and then giving it back to their people. Like, to me, that's silly. Like, just make it an, Amer an American territory. Just make, make Iraq and Afghanistan both American. Force them to live under the Constitution of the United States, right? Or give them a Constitution that's sort of similar. And, and you know, say, like, okay, you're going to, you know, um, 
you're you're going to sort of like uh, be given the the wonderful protection of the United States of America, but you know you've got to be uh, you know a country of law and order. You can't be this wild west nonsense. None of that, right? Uh, and we we wouldn't exploit them. Obviously, they would you know, pay their taxes and deal with their government the way that they want to do it. But they are a part of this country, right? They're sort of like, uh, you know, I don't know, like, uh, what was it, uh, Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico is a part of this country, but they yes. kind of have their own kind of government. But, you know, they, to some extent, we, you know, we would remove their autonomy. We would say, okay, you know, and, and it's kind of what's happening temporarily with occupation, right? Yeah. So occupation does that a little bit, but it's just like, no, you guys are Americans now. Like if you if you can tell somebody like you're actually an American, you have some some rights, you know, some rights of, of an American. Not not you know, it's a little bit different because you're territory. That that actually makes people feel good. I mean, it sounds like kind of arrogant, but it's true. America's the the biggest guy. He's like the king of the hill, right? And people kind of either want to be part of that club or they want to knock him off, right? So if you could take the people that want to knock you off the hill, and just bring you in and make you part of the club. Then they're gonna think like, oh, you know what? Well, we don't need to knock this guy off the hill. Actually, he he likes us. We're we're friends now. You know, we're part of that club. And I don't know if building an American empire throughout the world is a great idea, but it's a hell of a lot better idea than just going in, invading, causing a lot of havoc, trying to rebuild the nation, and then saying, okay, that's yours. It's like, what benefit is that to us? Like trying to make the world just not working. We're we're doing everything by habits. Is appropriate here. Yeah, uh, I, I heard know. a good joke about Christopher Hitchens, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> what what am I what am I uh? subscribers and my biggest patron uh i called him up and he goes uh, you know christopher hitchens at the end of his life did realize that god existed one second after he died right okay <laughs> i thought it was pretty good sorry continue right uh you've definitely offended a lot of people again mm -hmm. uh, if people are offended that's their problem uh, <laughs> That's the point, right? You just say things that people don't necessarily like to get ideas going. Well, I, I'm definitely for free speech, so I think people should have the right to offend. Um, it's pretty much when when we come to the point of violence and um, f like physical threats that I think um, that that's crossing the line. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean that that, that tends to be true in our contemporary society. Yeah, I'll just quickly say. I know that obviously America occupied Germany and Japan, and they still do. So uh, nation building is possible. Uh, however, yep. uh, I think you need to look at uh, which nation you're starting out with. Um, again, Germany and Japan have a long history of civilization and writing, and um, they do have at least some westernization um, especially in Germany they did have uh, liberal ideas so uh, I think it wouldn't be so alien to try and build a democracy in a place where ideas of liberty had already classically liber liberal yeah yeah had already existed however when you're starting with places like Afghanistan and Iraq for me those people uh, really seem to love their God and I don't think they want democracy, and m most of them, I don't think they want democracy. Uh, they, they they like their own religious tradition, and within their religious tradition, there isn't uh, scope really for democracy, I don't think. Right.
Right. Yeah. You know, it, it, it is a serious question that needs to be asked a lot of times with these cultures because there's this idea in we're so anti-racist. I mean, racism has become like such a it's like a tool of attack. It's like it's like the worst possible thing. I mean, you could be a Satan worshiper and people would be less offended by you than if you were a racist. Yes. You know, in America, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, like. But if you travel outside the U.S., I know you know you you live in 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 Europe. I imagine I, yes, you're I in Europe in now. Poland, yes. You're in Poland now. Okay. Yeah. Well, you'll know you'll know then that Polish people are pretty racist, and people pretty much everywhere in the world than Americans. Like there's this idea that conservative Americans are these like they hate black people and blah 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 blah. Not true. I've literally I, my whole family is conservative. I've you know lived in America my whole life except for a year in in, in England and some time out traveling. But um, I've never met a racist. I've never met a self-avowed I hate black people racist, right? And you know I think that says a lot. But every time I travel, every time I travel, no matter where I go, you hear people saying snarky, nasty remarks about some other culture, and it's not just something that's acceptable in their culture. It's like the default setting of most cultures is to kind of hate their neighbor or hates black people or hate, you know, like the Chinese might hate the Japanese or whatever. And so, uh, but, but in America, we were like, oh, there's a lot of other things that you can't talk about because of that, right? And like what you're saying is something you can't talk about. Like, does this, does this, because they mix up culture and race, right? So they say like, oh, well, if you think that this country can't handle democracy, well, you're a racist. You know, that's the fear. That's the fear that, that I, even I have. Like, I, I'm afraid to say stuff like that yes. because I'm afraid people will be like, well, you're a racist. But that's a real question. I mean, it's possible that these people have been so indoctrinated into this idea that, like, this is the way things need to be, that if they're given democracy, they won't do democracy right. Right. And it's not a, a matter of their IQ. I mean, maybe it is, but, but you know, probably not. Probably it's just a matter of their conditioning. Right. They, it's going to be many generations before they're even capable of having a democracy because, like you said, they may just not want it. I mean, culture doesn't jive particularly well with. And that's something that needs to be looked at. I mean, that's that's a little bit beyond my scope. I, I haven't studied these, you know, different exotic cultures enough to know that for sure. Yeah. But certainly we see in Palestine it didn't work very well. You know, amongst the Palestinians, they I think they voted in Hamas, right, as their their government. Well, or well I think that's logical for Palestinians, uh, like uh, because they're Muslim, right? Yeah, because of their like, goals. Yeah, exactly. Like um, uh, uh, heaven is real; it's something to get to, and uh, you have the way of Muhammad, and uh, this is this is the path. So um, I, I'm not surprised. I, I guess a lot of the people who were in the George Bush administration and the Obama administration. They probably didn't know very much about Islam. Um, that, that, that's my assumption. Um, just coming back to racism, uh, in Poland, there aren't really many different people. Like almost everyone is ethnically Polish. Almost everyone speaks Polish. And um, I, I guess people do have jokes about other groups of people. But uh, like the, in America, you have lots of diversity and uh, people... Right. Um, identify with their ethnicity and their race, and this causes conflict. And here in Poland, I don't think people really suffer from racism uh, in the same way that in America, every day you wake up, you turn on the TV, and you see there's a controversy because one person used a particular word and another person right. interpreted it in a very negative light. Um, the second thing I'd say about racism, 
when I hear this word coming up, it's frequently used by leftists to stop conservatives when they want to discuss an issue. So that's I, right. I, I see I see it almost as a I, I see it as a slur word. And to be honest, oh yeah, I, I, I don't feel its weight. So when, when someone says uh, Jose is a racist, I, I I don't get worked up. If someone says he hates Chelsea, this man hates Manchester United. I don't care. It's it's not an issue. If you tell me Jose, for example, cut someone's head off, that that's that's where it gets interesting. That's where I think uh, the state right. should step in. So um, I, I try to avoid uh, the, the whole talk of racism, and I, I think it's just the slur word to to shut conservatives down. To be honest, that's an excellent. That was such an excellent point. I I mean I often say that the that racism is like the R word, right? It's like the new N word. Like, you know, you used to point at a black person and say the N word and, you know, that you were a horrible person. Now the left points to a white person and says the R word. Yeah. And to me, that makes them a horrible person because you're essentially just saying, well, because you're white, you're a racist. I mean, to me, that is racist. That's racist. So, uh, you know, you don't hear a lot of N word being spewed about, but you hear a ton of the R word being spewed about all the time. I, it, yeah, you're 100% right. It's just a tool of attack, right? It's a weapon. The word has been weaponized now to shut down somebody's uh, p particular position. And I've actually made videos about this where I say, you know, a lot of conservative uh, people, when they're guests on a show like like yours, for instance, like if you were a strong leftist, excuse me, and you made this accusation, well, isn't what you're doing, you know, because you don't like, you know, like is because you're building the wall, isn't that because like you don't want Mexicans coming over, right? I, I, I look at that as code, right? It's code that they're, that they're using to sort of like signal to their viewers that like this guy's a racist. Sure, right? absolutely, so when, absolutely. When that, when, that code, when that code is used, I, I say that you know conservatives, people like me who are being interviewed, need to stop and say, all right, hold the interview for a second. Hold the interview for a second. Let's not move past this. This is an incredibly important point. You are calling me a racist. You are signaling to your people that I'm a racist. So now I want to know, do you genuinely think I'm a racist or are you just trying to subtly suggest it so that you plant the seed uh, you know, in their minds? Do you, because I want to know, do you genuinely think I, and then you can have the conversation. And then you can have the conversation because it's always slyly introduced to a conversation uh, in, in the media here. And it just drives me yes. crazy. And, and, and conservatives don't really know how to combat that yet. You know, some well, I suppose speak, do, but... They speak about it, and, and you're right. I think when when folks are discussing an issue, if the word uh, racist or far-right or Islamophobic, like any of these slur words come up, mm -hmm. um, we, we really need to have a definition. Um, I've, this Absolutely this right. This term far-right in Europe is used a lot on the media channels. I, I've emailed Euronews asking them, can you please define what far-right means? Um, and I've got no response. I've checked the Oxford Dictionary, and all it says is to the far end of right-wing politics. W what does that mean? Does that mean you love nature like Peter Hitchens, and um, you prefer conservatives to, to keep a green belt instead of allowing capitalism to, to thrive? Like, what does it mean? Uh, I, again, I, I think their motivation, I'm not sure, but I think their motivation is just to tar and feather conservatives and, and basically... That's not... You should be sure. That's exactly what they're doing. Sorry, I interrupted. Continue. No, 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 no. Uh, that's fine. Yeah, so... Well, I, I, have, I have a very specific, 
like definition of you know far right and far left and and slightly left and you know uh, racist and all this kind of stuff. I have a very different sort of like visual representation of these things, right? To me, I talk about the spectrum of rationality, right? Or or I also call it the realm of reason, right? Politically. And the spectrum of rationality is a spectrum from basically from slightly right to far right, okay? Um, but a lot of times what the press tries to do is they try to associate um, racists, like avowed racists, like Ku Klux Klan people or like white supremacists with the far right. So, But I don't think that they are in the spectrum of rationality because it's not rational to be a white supremacist. Because in America anyway, it, I mean, I grew up in Oregon, which is similar to Poland, mostly white people. But like if you live in a big city like New York or L.A., you can really walk t down the street and kind of run into like, you know, a black person or a, a Mexican person or, or an Asian person, and you can shake their hand, you can have a little conversation with them, and you can realize not only are they a reasonable person, probably relatively intelligent, probably a decent, you know, a decent human being, but they may be better than like 80% of the people you know. So it's not just, it's not just outside the realm of rationality, it's, it's outside the realm of rationality on face value. So I don't consider, I don't consider like, white supremacy to be in the realm of rationality. I think that of it as a sort of like a, a way that some people want to see the world, right? And so they set up their system of politics based on this misperception of reality. But I also think the left is based on the misperception of reality that white people are the oppressor, that men are the oppressor, that straight people are the oppressor, that you know, Christians are the oppressor that Muslims are oppressed, that you know Hispanics are oppressed, blacks are oppressed, women yes. are oppressed, gays are oppressed. And this is the division that they create. And in a mirrored way, they suppose that conservatives, far-right people, think the opposite. They think straight, white, Christian men are the good guys and everybody else is the bad guys. But we don't think like that. We think on an individual level. So the left has two very strong misperceptions about the world. One, that these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. Well, that my enemy, the conservative, thinks that these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. And both of those things are just absolutely wrong. And these misperceptions put them outside outside the realm of reason or the spectrum of rationality. So yes. I think that we all need to just get into the spectrum of rationality, see the world as it is. You know, people are people. Look at people as an, on an individual level. Try to look at the details, not just sort of like the big picture of what we want the world to be, and, and then move on from there. So I think of the right as not including uh, the white supremacists. I think the white supremacists and the left are essentially the same thing. They're people that have a strong misperception about the world and all their political solutions stem from those misperceptions. Sorry, that was a long one. Sure. Um, again, when it comes to white supremacists, uh, where are they? Like, I'm sure there must be a few like white supremacists uh, out there who uh, believe white people are far uh, superior and that they should rule over other people. That's how I would define uh, the idea of white supremacy. But uh, me too. Yes. W w where do you find those folks? Uh, I, I haven't met a person like that. So. I've never met one. I mean, I know that you know, obviously see them on TV sometimes. CNN will find them for you. You need uh, to find them. Uh, CNN will uh, find uh, every they, single they, one of them they will and put them, them on TV yes. all day long. Yes. They'll create. Yeah. <laughs> they will create them. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So uh, let's get on to the topic of writing. You've actually published two volumes under the title Straight White Christian Man. <laughs> and you published this. Self-published. Uh, self okay. Yeah, let's not, let's not <laughs> act as if some publisher. 
was like, oh, this is genius. No, 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 no. I just put these out myself. We respect your honesty. So uh, how long yeah. have you actually been working on the project for? Uh, at no point was I really working on the project. Uh, I started writing when I was seven years old. And so I suppose the oldest story that I have in there, I probably wrote when I was like, oh gosh, maybe, maybe like 20, well, probably, yeah, like 28 or something like that. I'm 38 now. So, you know, these are just a compilation of some of my short stories. I have, I think, well over 100 short stories. Excuse me. But for these two volumes, I actually originally wanted to just do one volume and put it out there and to like, you know, you know, I had some patrons on Patreon uh, from my from my YouTube channel. And I was really like, it was a re weird thing to have patrons on Patreon. You know, like I, I was like, people are just giving me money because they like what I'm doing on YouTube. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. Like, <laughs> like I almost felt bad. Like, you know, I, I put up the Patreon specifically for that purpose because I wanted to do this instead of, you know, my, my day job, which is working in TV and, and film in sort of like a petty, crappy way. I thought, you know, I'm doing some value here. You know, I want to be able to just do that. Maybe people give me money to do it. And then they started giving me money. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was like, I don't this doesn't feel right. Even though it's more democratic, I think, a way to get paid than to have a job. Because if you have a job, you can be crappy at the job. And if your boss just doesn't notice or they really like you, you can keep the job. You may not be doing a service to the world. This, people will stop giving you money if they don't think you're of value, right? So, yes. um, so it's a pretty democratic way to get paid, really. So I shouldn't feel that bad about it. But I thought, you know, how, what can I give to these people as like a thank you? I mean, even the guys at like the dollar level, like the first guys that were like giving me one dollar, I was like, I want to give them something. And so I started thinking about what I had. And I thought, you know, I could put out a book and then after I give them my pay, this to my patrons, maybe I can make money off the book. I haven't really been keeping up with it. But so one of my initial ideas was I'll make this book and then I'll just give it to every one of my early patrons. And it turns out that making these books was kind of, you know, and then buying them from the thing is kind of expensive. So I haven't been able to send them all the book yet. You know, my early, I think it was like 20 people or something like that. Um, but that, that is still the plan. I'm still going to send my early patrons a copy of the book signed and everything. Um, but yeah, it was basically a compilation of sort of the other thing that I do outside this YouTube thing, which is write, uh, you know, write fiction. And uh, I, I love the Twilight Zone growing up. And I love these stories with twist endings and sort of like novel ideas that nobody's ever heard before. And that's my special really is thinking of you know unique um, novel ideas nobody's ever thought of and then putting in an ending that's so satisfying that people walk away thinking okay that was a good story that, that's kind of my my formula I guess I would say okay well so you've been writing since the age of seven mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure yeah 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 and, uh, do you have any like style manuals or anything like that I recently interviewed John Derbyshire and um, he, he got me on to Fowler's usage dictionary and I've also been reading Steven Pinker's uh, A Sense of Style. Uh, do, do you Wait, have like any... I, I've been wanting to read a bl blank slate. Ah. I, I'll tell you what, my stories are chock full of typos. Uh, I am awful when it comes to uh, the, the actual you know, grammar and like, sort of like, I mean, I wouldn't say awful, okay, but I'm just not, I'm not an editor. Let's, let's put it that way. I used to have like a girl who would do my editing for me, but she became this like high powered lawyer over in uh, Arizona and she doesn't have time for that anymore. So my books do have a significant number of typos and 
I've had somebody offer to, to do some editing, so he's doing a little bit of editing. But uh, yeah, that's actually something that I have a serious uh, problem with. My, my sort of value, I think, is more in the story as opposed to the, um, the poetry of the style. Like your intro, your, the intro that you had for me, that was more poetic than anything I've ever written. <laughs> like you're not reading my stories for the beautiful language. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not good at beautiful language. I'm not good at writing like you know, uh, you know the you know he held up the paper. It was coarse like sandpaper. You know, I don't write a lot of analogy or a lot of you know sensory perception kind of stuff. Uh, my writing partner loves that stuff. He loves that stuff. But I I'm more of a simple writer. I like C.S. Lewis. I, I like writing in a simple story style. Um, as opposed to a really sort of contemporary, um, like, you know, the details of the moment, the smells and the textures. I will write in that stuff because I know people like it, but I'm more of a story guy. I like to just lay out the, you know, what's happening, essentially. And have you actually... I'm not good with style. Right, right, okay. And have you actually uh, written any stories that have been um, put into film or short film or something like that? Only things that I've made myself. I actually have three short films that I'm incredibly proud of. They were in a, like a series, and I did these as a kind of uh, proof of concept for like a sort of like a Twilight Zone type show, like Black Mirror. I call the show The Interviews, uh, and it's essentially people telling the stories that I've written, and then occasionally we'll go from the interview to the scene. So you'll actually see the scene played out like a movie or like a TV show, in part, and then we'll cut back to the person doing the interview, sort of like you know um, a true crime reenactment show where you have these people doing the interview, or like a documentary series where you'll see the person doing the interview, and then they'll sort of, um, you know, they'll they'll do a kind of like recreation like with actors, kind of like that. But the whole thing is a fiction. So the person doing the interview, like like one of them, the person doing the interview is an angel, right? Like an angel in heaven talking about an event that happened in heaven, and then we cut to the events of the scene, and then we cut back. And that really shortens, you can take a really long story and you can shorten it up if you do this interview style. Um, so I did these three things, I, I'm quite proud of those, but they're, they're all password protected on, on Vimeo because uh, I was just showing those to producers. Okay. But I mean, I suppose at some point or another, I, I'll probably let people look at those or something. But that, that's, those are sort of the best things that I've ever made out of my writing. Nobody else has made anything out of my writing. <laughs> they should. It's good stuff. I'm, I'm actually currently trying to do a new project, which is an interesting idea. For YouTube, I'm going to do this kind of, it's, it's almost like a movie. I'm running around doing a selfie, you know, like with, with the camera that I use for my Mr. Reagan videos. I have that camera on a gimbal. It's um, Zion or something like that, gimbal. And I'm running around Zion Crane uh, version two, if anybody's interested. Uh, and it's, it makes it kind of steady. I'm using a wide angle lens so I can be a little bit off of my face and I'm still in the shot. And I'm running around with this thing and the story is that uh, I come home after a business trip and my wife is gone. And not only is my wife gone, but like all my old stuff from before I met her is now in the house. Like she redecorated before she left me. And I'm like, what's going on? And at, you know, once I once I like I, I realize that she's left me and she's for whatever reason brought all my stuff and I try to text her but I can't because she's not in my phone anymore. Somehow she got into my phone and deleted herself. So now I'm like, okay, how did that happen? 
so then I turn to the camera because I'm like a vlogger, right? And I say, look, I need you guys' help. What should I do? Should I go to her friend's house and ask about her? Should I go to her work? Which do you think I should do? And then that's the end of the video, right? Nice. And then you, and, and then in the YouTube video, you'll come up with these two options. And then you can click on whatever scene you want to go to, right? We had these books when I was a kid called Choose Your Own Adventure. And it's sort of that format. So you can choose what you do. All possible worlds. And then you find out that your mother... Huh? Yeah, all, exactly. You can just... All possible And you talk worlds. to your mother and your mother says, well, you, your mother says, uh, you never got married. You never had a wife. And you're like, whoa, okay, this is weird. So then you got to figure out, is are people pranking me? Like, what's going on? Did I actually have a wife? And so you get to choose how what what direction you go to investigate this. But you know, eventually there is a conclusion, and we find out what's actually happened to you, and all this kind of stuff. So uh, that that's the project I'm working on now. It's kind of a big project. That's why I'm doing it in selfie mode because I feel like I'm an actor who's always available to myself, <laughs> so I can just run around grab whatever friends I have in the acting community out here in LA and have them come play with me and, and do the thing. So that's my new project. Great. That'll be kind of fun. Great. Have you actually featured in any uh, small films or big films? Uh, well, I did a lot of, when I started acting out here, I, I originally came to, to write, but a lot of my actor friends were like, you have to, you have to act. It's a good way of networking. And they were right. It is a, it's a great way of networking. Um, and because I'm dashingly handsome, I got a lot of roles. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, you, uh, look, yeah. you look young for 38. You look oh, yeah, young. yeah. I'm an old man. I'm an old man. This is horrible. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't look that young. You haven't seen me naked. So, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Too much. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I did a bunch of student films and little things here and there, uh, but not really significant. I did, I did a few local commercials and uh, some national internet commercials. The, I suppose the coolest thing I've done recently is um, I'm on this show called um, For All Mankind. It's going to be on Apple TV and I play Mission Control. So it's it's about the moon landing in 1969. It's, uh, I, you know, I can't really say too much about it, but yeah, I, I play, I have a small role in that. Um, very small, just a few lines, but that's a, that's like a legit Hollywood project uh, filmed at Sony Studios um, in one of the most amazing sets I've ever seen. And I'm a real character. I have a real name. My name, Adam Castle. That's my character's name. Very exciting. <laughs> so that's the biggest role I've I've had, the most important role that I've had. Congrats. So that's going to come out probably in a couple months. Thus far. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you involved in any other projects? I mean, I have been involved in a ton of projects, but I think I'm really trying to focus on the YouTube channel right now because there seems to be. It was like I said, you know, supply and demand. You try to figure out what the what people want and then you there, there are two other things i mean the interviews thing that i was talking about uh, there is somebody who's interested in that who has a connection to netflix so they want to shoot um you know i told you i shot these these three yes. short films so he wants to do a, a fourth one he he's, he's like well i like all these three short films but i want to do one that's you know slightly higher budget or you know bring in some cinematographers something like that and, which is fair enough i'm not a cinematographer so I don't know how we're going to do that, but he wants to do it, so we're, we're planning that. And then I had a friend who wanted to do a pilot or, or like a proof of concept video for some producer that she knew, but she, she was a disaster. So I kind of slightly stepped away from that project. But yeah, I've always got like three or four or five projects going on, which is part, part of the reason why it's been so hard for me to get videos out lately on Mr. Reagan's channel, uh, because I got these other projects, but also just because I have to go out and make money, you know. And so, it, it you know, there are periods 
which is it's really gonna be i've got about seven videos in the computer waiting to be edited and uploaded to the channel i just don't editing takes a lot of time which you probably know about yes actually uh dan dan my partner he deals with all the editing so um that's one burden i need a dan you need, I need a Dan. A Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Got to clone Dan and send him over to California. Okay, so um, uh, this talk's going very well. Um, I don't want it to turn into something depressing. Uh, should we speak about Californian politics and American politics, or sh should we leave things here? I don't think that's depressing at all. I love. I I'll tell you what. I know that Californian politics are very leftist, and uh, in fact, a girl befriended me an actress that I know, um, removed me from all of her social media, banned me from her social media, because she posted something about um, Christine Blasey Ford. Like, this woman's a hero. This woman's like a wonderful person or something. And I wrote, and I just wrote this simple question, what if she's lying? That's all I put. What if she's lying? You know, because I, I think, like, you keep heroizing this woman and demonizing this man, but what if she's lying? You don't yes. actually know. Yes, exactly. It's a simple question. It's a simple question. And she wrote, she wrote, I, I, I kid you not. She writes, "You are the problem with this country." Oh God! And I wrote, and I wrote back, "When we stop, when we stop allowing each other to ask questions, then there will be a real problem with this country." And she goes, "I, I am removing you from all my social media. Do not try to contact me again." And I think I wrote something like, "Well, that's really a good idea because you know what we need in this country is less communication." And uh, that was the last thing I wrote to her. In. <clears throat> and it's it's just it's just completely mind blowing the level of ignorance a lot of the people on the left in like California have. But but I have a lot of hope that things are shifting even here in California. I meet so many people who are like, especially like Uber drivers or people I meet in an Uber because I do a lot of Uber share, so I meet a lot of random people. And because uh, I don't have a car, my car was stolen, so I Uber everywhere. Your car and was it, stolen. Us, yeah, a long time ago. So okay. I've been Ubering for a while now. Uh, in, um, in California? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. By a hoodlum. So, uh, so, I, you know, so I meet these random people, and you would be amazed how many people are like, I know who Jordan Peterson is. I know who, you know, uh, Ben Shapiro is. I know who Milo Yiannopoulos is. And they're just, they get excited, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, you know, I used to be a leftist, and my eyes have been opened, and like, it, there are way, way, way more people in America since Trump got elected that have now sort of like either become conservative or libertarian. Uh, you know, even like strong atheists, which you I think traditionally you, you associate very, very strongly with with the Democrats are now becoming more libertarian just because of the unbelievable lack of rationality of the left. I mean, they're, they're just they've gone too far in so many cases, like the idea that Christine Blasey Ford needs to be needs to be believed with zero evidence. It's preposterous. It, it, it's, it's so irrational. It's that's a beautiful word for it. And not only that, it's just like it goes against the fundamental um, sense of justice that we have in America. Everything is built upon guilty, you know, innocent pro yes. proven guilty. Yes. Our this entire justice civilization. And, and these people are like, no, that's wrong. And you're just like, what? And no rational person can stay on the left, I think, right now. And so, yeah, you, there is a very – but people are very quiet about it, especially here in L.A. because they're afraid that they're going to get ostracized. You know, the, I met this black guy the other day. He says, I cannot – because I asked him, go on channel. And he says, no, I can't because the black community will not accept me. And, 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 and I'm like in Hollywood too. And he's like, yeah, I won't get work anymore. 
and I won't be allowed to talk to my family. He's like, people are so, you know, driven by emotion. They're so irrational that, that you can't even be a little bit left. But the funny thing is, I'm sure there are people, like my lawyer, I had a lawyer for a while, and she was a friend of mine, and for probably a year, we were working together and talking about projects and stuff, and she was trying to sell my scripts and everything. We didn't know we were Republicans for a year. Neither of us knew that the other one was a Republican. Yes. I figured it out one day, and I asked her, and she was like, like scared to tell me. And I was like, it's cool, I'm Republican. And after that, we were just like, oh my gosh. You know, it was so nice to talk to somebody else and like, you know, have that relief of like not hiding it. You know, and, and we started going to some conservative stuff together. But she's, um, yeah, we just, you just do not talk about it out here. But, but I think that below the surface, it's way more people than you think, way more. Yes. Well, for me, it's a, a bit depressing that people are so engaged with politics when it comes to businesses. Like, uh, do, do we really need to discuss politics at work? Uh, like, I, I, obviously, I'm for freedom of speech and people are welcome to do that. But, like, do you really need to tell me about your, your progressive idea? And um, do, do you really need to smell us out? I, I would prefer to get to a point where you can talk about politics with your family and at work and stuff like this and just be kind of like, you know, grown up about it and be like, OK, you you disagree with me. And, and maybe you get a little bit passionate about it. But you but at the end of the day, you get on with the work and you patch them the other or not dismiss each other's ideas. You know, I, but it's it's it is hard. It is hard sometimes with the level of passion that people have. I mean, you. You have to disassociate your own value from the ideas that you have. Like it, like I find a lot of people will, if you if you disagree with their idea, they think that you hate them. It's like an attack on them. And we have to somehow train our culture in America anyway. I don't know what it's like in Poland, but we need to train each other that like, if I disagree with you, it's not because it's not like I'm not remarking on your value as a human. Of like I still respect you as a this human. Is a very important point that you bring up. Yes. Uh, people shouldn't be so yeah, sensitive. And, they they should be willing to engage in the actual ideas. I think that there. I, I talked about this in a previous video. I think there's this idea that if you have an idea that's wrong, it devalues you as a human, right? A lot of people think this, so they think like, okay, I I I am credulous or whatever, right? Uh, I I have or you know I I'm not a gullible person, right? I have the ability to discern truth from 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 like lies. And for you to tell me that I'm wrong about my politics indicates that you think I don't have that discernment. And that discernment is, I think, so important to my sense of self that if you are going to criticize my ability to discern truth from lies, you're basically attacking me and my person. I think that's what is going on in the brain. And they need to cut that. You know, they need to say, okay, my ability to from lies is not impacted my, by my willingness to accept wrong ideas politically because people who who advertise these bad ideas, Democrats I think mostly, are very, 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 very convincing. <laughs> so, so just because you have bought into an idea that might not be true, that doesn't mean you're an idiot. You know, it doesn't devalue you. It just says that like, okay, you have been privy to information that might not be accurate. And we all have something, God, I used to call it like a, I think it's called the primacy effect or something like that, where the first thing you hear about a subject is the is the thing that you're most willing to believe forever. 
Okay, so if you if you hear, well, Trump wants to build the wall because he's a racist, and that's the first thing you ever hear about the wall or Trump or anything, you're just going to think, Trump's a racist, wants to build the wall to keep the Mexicans out, and that's it. That's all you'll ever believe. And it's very hard to convince you otherwise because that's the first thing you heard. And it's this weird thing where the first thing we hear about a subject, we just – that's true. And if you tell me anything else, I don't believe – you just like associate your value with that truth, even though it's, it may be a complete lie. And so you say, oh, no, well, no, we actually just want to control the border, so we keep out drug dealers and bad guys. They go, uh, that's not what I heard. It's like, well, the person that you heard, you know, that told you in the first place might have been lying to you or might have just had bad information. Like, people really affix themselves to ideas that, 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 that they hear and they associate their own value with those ideas. And, and we need to teach people not to do that. You know, ideas should be a little bit more loose. Not, not so, you shouldn't be fixed to your ideas. I mean, some, some ideas, sure. You know, Try not to murder people, stuff like that. But <laughs> yes. a lot of these political ideas loosen your loosen it up in your mind so that you can be right, you know, so that you can find the truth that, that exists out there. Yeah. So, are you actually in favor of the wall being built? Are you for build the wall, deport them all? No, I don't know about deport them all. Uh, definitely build the wall. If we could, if we could tomorrow sort of magically deport every illegal immigrant and have a wall up. Um, yeah, do that, do that. But I, you know, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's a reasonable solution. Um, you know, uh, M16s uh, running into like, it, you know, the houses of illegal immigrants and yeah. like bashing them over the head and like throwing them in a big, you know, wagon and, and dri driving them down to the border or whatever. Uh, you know, I don't see that as a reasonable solution. I don't. I don't really see that happening anyway. But yeah, first of all, build a wall. Sec secondly, there there is a there is a tactic in America of heavily fining businesses that hire illegal immigrants. If you can like go after the business owners, business owners will be scared to hire illegal immigrants. Then there will be no demand for them, and then they'll kind of stop coming over or they'll move back. And so that that I think is actually the better solution. Because then you're not actually targeting. Because I don't think I think a lot of illegal immigrants are actually, you know, kind of vulnerable people, and and you you know I I, I tend to have some compassion for them. I mean I feel like if I was a poor Mexican guy and I had a family to support down in Mexico, and I realized that if I jump over the border and work illegal in America, I'll actually benefit my family. I would definitely do that, right? I would 100% do that. So I I relate to those people in a way, at least the good the good guys, the people who are genuinely trying to do good yes. for their family. Um, so I, I have a great deal of sympathy for them. But, uh, you know, it's hard to discern who, who's a kind of a, a somebody trying to cheat the system and who's somebody that's trying to actually, like, be a good family figure or something like that. So, yeah, if you could just magically do that, that would be fine. You can't. So I think that this tactic of building the wall and then enforcing the law with regard to employers, that's actually the best system, I think. Okay. And what about the prospect for the Republican Party in California? Uh, I am personally very pessimistic, although I don't live in California. I'm looking at the numbers and the future projection with demographics, and uh, I, I think it's going to be a blue state. Uh, Forever? <laughs> uh, well, at, at least for, what, the next hundred years? I don't know what would no, have to no, happen. No, 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 I don't think so. I, here's what I think. Here's what I think. People are getting smarter because of the internet. People are getting more information. 
once the wall is built, once we have a kind of system of you know, stopping the, illegal, the flux of illegal immigrants, the problem with illegal immigrants is that they're ignorant, right? That they, they're not particularly necessarily well-educated. And so they can be easily manipulated by the left, I think. So, but these people can be educated. They're not stupid people necessarily. So I think the people that are here, if they're illegal, legal, whatever the situation, definitely like Hispanics are very conservative, like culturally, right? They're, they're very right-wing. They're usually uh, Christian. They're usually like strongly ethical people. They should all be, they should be Republicans, right? They've been convinced by the left that Republicans are racist. They hate them. And so they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they got a lot of pride, cultural pride. And so the, the left uh, exploits that. But if we can actually get down to real issues, if we can educate all the immigrants out there, you know, the black community, if we can educate all these people properly, they're all going to be right wing. They're all going to be conservatives. So to me, it's only a matter of time. And I don't think it's going to be that long. It's only a matter of time that all these people go right. I have a friend named Manny, and he was like, he used to like deal drugs and crap. I mean, he was, he was kind of a bad dude, but he like became a Christian and now he's like a minister and now he's solidly right wing. I mean, he is an absolute diehard Republican now. And, you know, it's because he made that transition. He was like, I want to make life better. I do tend to find that people who make, want to make the world a better place, genuinely want to make the world a better place, tend to be conservative. You know, people who are knowledgeable about politics and stuff like that, they will eventually become conservative. Because you're, you're going to be looking online, you know, how do we make the world a better place? And if you're genuinely interested in the truth, you're going to find it. But a lot of people who sort of passively want to make the world a better place, well, I like the environment, whatever. They're going to be left wing because they're just going to like accept whatever information they're being told. Um, uh, but there are a lot of good, well-intentioned leftists. But I, I just think that they're just willing to accept the wrong information. Um, but I, you know, no, I do think that all the Hispanics and all the black, black people in America will eventually shift right. And I actually think it'll be in the next five to ten years that we're going to see a major, major shift. I don't think it's going to be that long. I don't think it's going to be everybody, people, that it's surprising to the Democrats. Yeah. That's uh, what I think. I don't know if that's true. Maybe I'm just an optimist. Well, I think that's very optimistic. Uh, for me, I've actually heard Republicans saying that uh, Latinos are natural Republicans. And yes, the rationale behind it is their Catholic heritage. Um, however, two things strike me as false. Um, one is like the voting patterns of Latinos in American elections. Um, they vote in really high rates for the redistributionist party. And the second one is if you look how Latinos have organized their civilization and in, in their nation states in the South of America, they don't strike me as bastions of conservatism. If these people are all really Catholics or the majority of them are Catholics, uh, why are they not setting up uh, conservative uh, societies and nations in South America? If you look at them, they're, they're very socialist. Uh, there's a lot of anarchy. There's a lot of crime and corruption. And uh, I, I personally don't buy that Latinos are naturally Republicans. Well, you know, you have... Uh... I think that there is a kind of a conflation here between um, the the way that maybe the people of a society would like to see the society run and the way a society tends to be because of corruption, right? So 
I think South America is a deeply, deeply corrupt continent with a lot of corruption in every single country. I mean, I, I don't know too much about the details of the government of every single country in South America, but the details I know of, like, say, a buddy of mine is actually from Venezuela. Like, he's a Venezuelan. He's one of my really good friends, Eduardo Brito, good, good guy out here in L.A., um, producer and director. And um, he's from there. And he's seen kind of like essentially firsthand what happens in, a, in, a, in like a, a socialist nation. And it's, it, you know, it's destroyed him like, you know, emotionally, you know, his mom's still down there and it's, it's horrifying to him. But, you know, pe people can be manipulated. I mean, people can be sold a bill of goods that aren't great, you know, that are rotten. And but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have an inability to accept uh, a bill of goods that's that's fresh. You know, I, I think that you just have a situation in which these corrupt leaders, you know, ha, you know, are look, it's third world countries. You've got a very small amount of rich, powerful people and you've got a huge mass of, of poor people. And these huge mass of poor people are desperate enough to get out of their poverty that they'll accept like these wisps of hope that are sent down to them from, you know, from on high that are, are complete lies. You know, I mean, they're not necessarily particularly well-educated. They're not necessarily particularly, um, you know, they're not savvy with, with regard to politics and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, you can easily control those kinds of people. Um, and this is true all over this problem in third world countries because the people in power want to keep their power. And we got lucky with America that very early on, you know, very early on, at the very inception of the nation, you had the system set up in such a way that, you know, you could actually, you know, you could actually kind of mend the checks and balances that we have and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and we, we actually accepted rule of law so that we, we didn't become so corrupt, of course. You know, I, I think the Clintons are a good example of that. But... And, and obviously, like the deep state, I think the deep state is actually a huge problem. And I think we are draining the swamp. You know, these are all like, you know, kind of code words and conservative talk for basically saying that there are people that are in office in government for, you know, many, many, many years who <laughs> think think that they're more powerful than the president. Right. And they're trying to have their will be done as opposed to the president's and, and you know, people who get elected. And draining the swamp just means getting rid of those people, yeah. essentially. Right. Yes. So I, I, I see your of, point. Um, yes, definitely. There uh, could be people who are in power and they're unwilling to relinquish it and uh, keep everyone down. Um, however, I, I would suspect that if um, the majority of the people from South America really are conservatives, they would have by now somehow managed to overthrow these power structures and set up um, uh, conservative nations. And, and that hasn't happened. And I, I don't expect that in America, you'll have California being a red state again. Um, you may you may actually be right. I, I don't believe that. I will fight you on this. Sure, sure. We'll, we'll just disagree <laughs> on this one, okay? I, yeah, we, I, I'll contact I, you. This is the way it should be. 20, this is the way it should be. Yeah, sure. 2020, we'll check. I disagree with you, but, you know, we'll see. It's, should, you know, maybe I'm right, maybe you're right. If you're right, in five years' time, I'll, uh, you know, we'll have another one of these things. Like, you were right. I'm an idiot, you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and we sure. can do the reverse if I'm right, you know. Sure, I won't labor the point. I won't labor the point, yeah. But I, I will call you in 2020 and we'll discuss the election then. Oh, I, I am so looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And um, are there any, let's finish on a positive thing. Um, is there anything about um, 
the Trump administration that you like and that you think is making America a better place for the citizens? Is everything a good answer? Uh, everything. <laughs> okay. How, well, I would say that. How I would, optimistic are you? <laughs> but, well, I would say. Uh, I would say my favorite thing, because I genuinely do think everything that Trump is doing is phenomenal. I suppose that I have a couple of criticisms that are minor, but I would say this, I would say this, that my favorite thing has been his negotiations internationally, right? So, and, and I, I don't just mean like North Korea, I mean with the Europeans, the European nations, uh, you know, he basically, uh, his, what he did at, at NATO was probably my favorite thing he's done in his, in his time in office. He went to NATO and he's basically like, We've all agreed to pay for the defense of Europe, essentially. <clears throat> it's ridiculous. First of all, it's ridiculous that America is even paying for the defense of Europe. That's mental. But the fact that we are paying for it, okay, fine. We've agreed to pay for it. We think that it's in our best interest that Europe is safe, so we're paying a bit for it. Okay. Why are we the only ones paying what we agreed to pay? Why the hell are you guys just relying on us to protect you? So stupid. And this is what I always say about the socialism. Socialism works in, you know, in Europe. Socialism works in Europe. These like strong socialist programs. Yeah, the reason the strong socialist programs in Europe work is because they spend zero money on their defense. They they just rely on the U.S. to protect them. They rely on the U.S. a lot for innovation, right? Because you know they don't have to actually invest in innovation. Because I mean, some of them do anyway. But but like a lot of medical innovation stuff like that comes from the United States because we Absolutely. pay so much for medical here. And then these like pharmaceutical companies make these, you know, sweetheart deals with the European nations because they don't have to they don't have to get their money from from Europe because they're getting most of it from the, from the United States. And so the, these nations could have these beautiful socialist de deals. And, and also, I think the homogenous culture helps with that a little bit. Like, you know, if you have a homogenous culture like in Poland, um, <clears throat> you're not going to get culture clashes and you can kind of more easily govern your people. Absolutely. When you have this yeah. broad variety of cultures in America, it becomes much less, uh, it becomes much more difficult to, you know, do like a one size fits all t-shirt, you know, federalist government program for people. It's just, it's just not gonna work in the same way that it will for a smaller homogenous, uh, a country with a homogenous culture. So there's a, there's a variety of reasons that the way that we govern in America doesn't work in Europe. But, uh, but, the, but the NATO thing was to me like my favorite thing. Like he goes in and he basically says, you guys are all screwing us, all right? And there's and we don't have enough of a benefit for us to stay in this project. Yeah. So if you want us to stay in this project, you're gonna start paying up. Otherwise, we're out. And immediately, you pretty much just saw every NATO person be like, no, 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 it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. We're good, we're good, we're gonna pay up, we're gonna pay up. Yeah. And it was over the course of like two or three years, really, but that one moment when he went in and just like mic dropped and then walked out and, and was like, you know, I mean, it was such a cool moment, I, I, I love that. Yeah, um, this is this is actually a topic that I've discussed on Radio Hazara quite frequently. Um, I do think that NATO needs to be restructured, and um, from the perspective of American taxpayers, I don't think you guys are getting very much benefit from being in NATO. And uh, Trump actually has the executive power. Uh, I found out recently he can actually by himself pull America out of NATO. Uh, Is that right? I didn't yeah, even know that. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there was some precedent set by I think uh, Coolidge, and uh, mm. he's he's got the executive authority just to like say no, goodbye, thank you, good luck. Interesting. And, uh, Interesting. I know yeah. on the campaign trail he was saying that he was going to pull America out of NATO, and to be honest, I think um, it would be best for Europeans as well. 
from the sense that Europeans have to uh, look at where they are, they, they need to get together and decide about their future, and uh, yeah, they, they can't rely on America all the time. Obviously, uh, Europe and America have strong ties, and uh, hopefully, eternally, we will be allies. But uh, I think, so. yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the Europeans definitely, in in my opinion, seem to be leeching off American taxpayers. Unbelievably so. I I would actually, as, as a kind of a side note, I would say I love Europe, and I actually will probably at some point move to Europe and stay there. Uh, uh, just because I prefer old stuff. I, that sounds weird, but I like I like castles and I yeah. like you know old you know, old villages in Switzerland and this kind of stuff. and I like these kinds of cultures. And so at some point I'll probably move to Europe. But it's not that I I hate America. I love America. Okay, I'm a big you know, pro America guy. But uh, I like that. I like the history of you know my family and that kind of stuff. I'm German mostly. I'm, I have one Scottish grandfather. Um, but I'm probably going to go. Uh, at some point and live over there, my girlfriend's waking up. <laughs> I'm in my bedroom right now. She's okay. been sleeping the whole time. Uh, <laughs> she's just like, I hate you. Uh, <laughs> she's like, my one day off, and you and you and you go do this interview. Um, we can. But yeah, I, I love Europe, and I and I hope I hope that we're forever, forever good friends. And I hope Europe actually kind of like starts sorting itself out from this like becoming more and more socialist and being more and more open to this immigration that I think I really think is incredibly destructive uh, in Europe. This whole like, oh, we don't want to be seen as racist or we're going to let it be kind of nonsense. It's like cultures don't always mix well. Like it's not a racist thing. That's just, you know, there's something that you have to actually just think about. I love Europe. I, I hope we have a great relationship with Europe forever and ever and ever. And uh, and hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll live there one day. But I, I yeah, I like I like our, our relationship and I, I think that that um, the Europeans, the Europeans started investing in their military. Actually, all the different countries, even before Trump was elected, I think, because he started to say, like, if I'm elected, I'm going to pull out of uh, NATO. Yes. So a lot of these countries. Oh, we're kind of. Yes. Yes, you're right. Can you hear me? And and it got more severe the in the first meeting in this first year, and then it was like pretty much settled. Uh, in this last meeting uh, several months ago, I think like six months ago or something like that, he, uh, you know, they basically were just like, okay, 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 we're gonna, we're doing it, we're investing, we're investing, and and uh, and to me, that's 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 actually probably good for the European countries, because yeah. you you do kind of need to, you know, have some responsibility, as Jordan Peterson says, you find meaning in responsibility. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, be autonomous, take care of yourself. Yes, they're trying to set up a European army. Uh, the, the way they're structuring it seems wrong to me. But again, uh, they do have to work together somehow to, to form a pact against the influences of China, India, potentially Russia, uh, other countries. I think a lot of the battles that are being waged these days are more um, more economic or, or digital, you know, or, you know, virtual in, in the sphere of the internet than they are actual physical military. But that is an important aspect. I mean, you, when you have a situation like with what, what used to exist in North Korea, there is a, a fear that there will be an actual physical attack on your country. So um, obviously, you know, Trump seems to have, have quelled that, you know, at least temporarily. So, but, but uh, you know, when that, those, those dictators exist, it is a little scary. And, and like Putin, I think, is, is a genuine threat, even though my girlfriend's Russian. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have one question. Have you ever been to Poland? 
No, I have not actually. I've I've been to Germany. I've been to Denmark. I've been to where else? The Netherlands. But I never went over to Poland. But I think that on my next trip, I I may do that. I I I think I have a Polish ancestor. My grandmother's mother, I think, was Polish. Okay. So I do have a connection to the Poles. If you come to Poland, we'll definitely take you for a guided tour around Krakow or Warsaw, and amazing. Uh, we'll buy you a, a few beers and a meal. So. Uh, you're welcome to, to join us here in Poland. I, I, you know, I'm probably going to go over there at some point next year. So, you know, to Europe. So, uh, yeah, we'll absolutely have to meet up at that point. Okay. Well, thank you very much. It's been a wonderful chatting to you and we wish you the best of luck. And uh, where can people find you on the internet besides your YouTube channel? Do you want to maybe just tell them where they could become a Patreon member? Yeah, I mean, if you go to my YouTube channel, all the links are there. Uh, I, I I have a particular desire for everybody to read my books because that's kind of like the thing that I've sort of been geared myself up for for like you know my whole life is like writing fiction. But uh, you know, people. <laughs> I mean, the, it's funny. The people who watch Mr. Reagan aren't necessarily fiction readers, so that didn't. Those my 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 followers didn't really transfer over and read my book as much as I would have liked, but. Uh, uh, but a lot of them did, and, and uh, I think they're good stories. If you like The Twilight Zone, you'll like the book. So go to Amazon and look up Straight White Christian Man, and you'll find my two books there. That, that to me, is my favorite thing. But, yeah, just, I mean, my YouTube channel, I, I always need to grow that because I'm trying to kind of build it a little bit of like a like a thing. Like, like I wanted to make it enough of a, a big deal that, you know, I'm like maybe newsworthy, like people are paying attention to what I'm saying because I do think that what I'm talking about is – you know, the spectrum of rationality. It's it's really existing within the parameters of what exists within the world to find solutions to the problems that we have uh, internationally and, and nationally, obviously. Okay, well, uh, enjoy your Sunday in California. Okay, thank you so much, Brian.